Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 9th of November. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Sue Perry. Brian Edwards. Kate Hudman. Duncan Wynne is very kindly standing in as our engineer. Carol Hartle and Sue Childs is, are working on the administration. And this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Career Con Man Behind Bars, My Terror at Gunfire, Crackdown on Youth Gangs, Action Call Over Car Fans Meets, I'll Be Homeless and I Get No Help, and Charity Box Radio is Jailed. And now for the deaths. Raymond Charles Bennett passed away at Henwick Grange Nursing Home on October the 31st, age 88. No details of the funeral have come through as yet. Geoffrey er Elliott, well-known local architect, passed away on October the 9th. The funeral service is, is at Clains Church on November the 9th at 12.30. William Peck died on October the 11th, aged 81. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on November the 7th at 12.15. Beryl Doreen Smith, née Clark, passed away on October the 20th at the Royal Stroke Unit, aged 85. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 10th at 11.30. Catherine Ellen Patricia Yarnold passed away peacefully on October the 18th, aged 52. The funeral service is at St George's Catholic Church on November the 10th at 1pm. Joan Huntspeth passed away on October the 20th, aged 91. The funeral service is at St. Martin and St. Peter Church on November the 13th at 12.45. Nigel John Court passed away on October the 24th, aged 63. The funeral service is at Great Malvern Crematorium Chapel on November the 17th at 11 a.m. Raymond William Hughes, ex-Royal Male, passed away on October the 20th, aged 84. The funeral service is at St Stephen's Church on November the 14th at 10.30. Mary Miller passed away on October the 24th, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 14th at 11.30. Mick Wall passed away on October the 18th, aged 64. The funeral service is at All Saints Church on November the 13th at 1.45. Joan Good passed away in hospital on October the 22nd, age 73. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on November the 14th at 1.45. Phyllis June Honeywood passed away on October the 26th, age 91. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on November the 15th at 10 a.m. Margaret Joyce Moore passed away on October the 25th, aged 86. Funeral services at St Peter's Church in Powick on November the sorry November the seventeenth at eleven a.m. Pamela Margaret Simpkin, known as Pam, peacefully on October the twenty-fifth, aged ninety-one. The funeral service at St Martin's with St Peter on the London Road on November the sixteenth at twelve noon. Reverend Canon William David Sandford Wells, known as David former vicar of Crowell and the Bowbrook group of parishes, died on October the 29th at the College of St Barnabas in Surrey, aged 76. The funeral service is at St John the Baptist Church in Crowell 
on November the 22nd at 1pm. Walter Coleman passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on October the 25th, age 95. The funeral at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on Canada Way, Lower Wick, on November the 16th at 12.45. Maureen Edith Kings passed away on October the 21st, age 86. The funeral is at Broadwest Church on November the 15th at 11.30. Eileen Lavery, which is L-A-V-E, sorry, Lavery, L-A-V-E-R-Y, passed away on November the 5th at St. Richard's, age 76. The service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 17th at 10.45. Hilda Taylor Lay Fawkes passed away on October the 25th, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 16th at 10.45. Marina Nunny passed away peacefully on October the 29th, aged 72. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 26th at 1.45. Um, our thoughts are with all the family. The thought of the day is uh, the Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'll now pass you to Sue for the first headline. And the first headline is um, from Friday, November the 3rd, and it's the career con man who is now behind bars. A professional con man who duped vulnerable elderly people has been jailed. Cold caller Stephen Hodgkins targeted people aged between 75 and 90, asking for cash deposits for work on their homes, which he never returned. Hodgkins of Dent Close Worcester admitted four counts of theft and one of fraud when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. The five complainants were all described as having been upset and shaken after being duped by the 47-year-old who had been jailed three times before for doing the same thing. In total, he stole £515 from his complainants during these most recent offences, asking for deposits for work, which included repairs to guttering and windows, after he called at their Worcester homes and engaging them in conversation. Lal Amarashinga, prosecuting, said his victims all described him as friendly, chatty and charming, which um, formed part of his modus operandi. While he preyed upon them, offering to perform work on their homes at highly inflated prices. Without exception, the complaints in this case are, with the greatest respect, elderly and vulnerable members of the public, aged between 75 and 90, he told the court. He added, These are people who have retired and feel utterly betrayed and duped by this defendant. Their confidence has been knocked, their trust has been shaken. It is a particularly unpleasant offence. He has done this so many times and he hasn't stopped. His past convictions have not prevented him carrying on this type of activity. The quotes he provided were of ten written on the back of a flyer for Oak Home Improvement or A1 Home Improvement companies he set up. Any work he did carry out was described by Mr Amar Shangi as unsatisfactory and when complainants who were of limited means tried to cancel the work, their deposits were not returned. P. 
Peggy Prue, aged 86, fell victim to Hodgkins between November the 14th last year and June the 17th this year at her home in Bilford Road, Worcester. He stole £175 from her as a deposit for work he said he needed, needed doing to the roof and the windows. He conned £50 from 81-year-old Marie Bonnick between February the 15th and June the 17th this year, £40 from 79-year-old Dillis Crow at Mortlake Avenue in Worcester between March the 8th and June the 17th this year, and £250 from Roy Pilkington between March the 20th and June the 17th this year. His fraud against Irene Hayes of Knight Street, Worcester, took place between January the 31st and March the 1st this year, when he made a false claim he was commencing building work, intending to make a gain for himself. When he approached Mrs Prue, he said, Do you remember me? And that he had previously fitted her windows, he gave her a quote of £1,070 for the work which the woman's son later told her was a lot of money for the job. Hodgkins, who represented himself, said, There were two of us involved. I didn't involve him. I should have involved him. He should be doing what I'm doing. I'm taking full responsibility on his behalf. It's his van. Without him, I wouldn't have done it. I'm sorry for what I've done, but I'm not taking full responsibility for all of it. Recorder Gareth Evans, QC, said, You are a professional con man. You have on numerous occasions performed the same sort of ruse to get money out of elderly, vulnerable and gullible victims. Hodgkins had served a three-year prison sentence and two stretches of two years for similar offences. The judge added, You say you're sorry for what you've done. I think you're more sorry for being caught. He jailed Hodgkins for two and a half years and ordered him to pay £170 victim surcharge. Our second headline comes from Saturday the 4th of November. My terror at gunfire. A father raced across an arena to save his 12-year-old son's life after shots were fired during a kickboxing tournament. Kevin Pearce said he was scared for his boy, Charlie, who was competing in the Unified World Championships. Hundreds of people fled from the Carrara Fieri Sport Hall in Tuscany, Italy, when the gunfire erupted at around 11am on Sunday. Mr Pierce, aged 57, of Wiselack Place, Warnden Villages in Worcester, said armed police swooped into the arena within seconds and tackled the man, who had been firing blank rounds. It was reported to be a demonstration of imitation firearms. Mr Pierce said, I was scared for his, that's Charlie's, safety and my own. Scariest thing I've experienced in my life, I thought I was going to die. There were three shots initially, bang, bang, bang. At first, no one moved. I don't know why. Everyone looked towards the source of the noise. The gunman was down the bottom end. We were at the top. He was about 200 yards away. Then five seconds later, there was another burst of shots and the whole crowd ran for the exits. I used to be in the army. And you can't really tell the difference between blanks and the real thing. 
Mr. Pierce, who served as a private in the Royal Ordnance Corps, said his first reaction was to flee the arena. He said, I took three steps. Then I thought, no, I forgot my son. I was screaming at everyone. Now, where's Charlie? I found him and said, Charlie, just run. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people in there, and everyone was frantic to get out. It was mad. His son, Charlie, who was a pupil at Nunnery Wood High School in Worcester, said, I was really scared. I thought I was going to die. I was warming up for my fight at the time when I heard these three bangs. Didn't know what it was then, so we carried on. Then a couple of seconds later, I saw people running and thought it was fake. Then I saw a lot more people running and thought it was real. Dad came over and said, run, and swore a bit. I didn't know what else to do but run. But despite this shocking experience, Charlie returned to the arena later that day and and competed in another fight. In a strange turn of events, after the tournament had finished, Charlie and his training buddies bumped into a pop star, Ed Sheeran, while waiting in departures at Pisa International Airport. Ed Sheeran was travelling with Ryanair. He sat next to one of our fighters on the flight. It was surreal. He was very very happy to rough it with the rest of us. It did take the edge off the terror thing. Young Charlie won three medals in the tournament, a silver in the under-12s, a silver in the full contact, and a bronze in another fight. He hopes to become a better fighter in the future and eventually bring home a gold medal. The headline on Monday, November the 6th, Crackdown on Youth Gangs. Youths are making life a misery for residents and businesses in a city shopping strip. Traders in Cranham Parade, Cranham Drive, Warnden, say they have been complaining for months about gangs of teenagers who hang around the complex drinking alcohol and intimidating shoppers and those who live nearby. Now they are being urged by police to continue to work with officers as they look to crack down on instances of antisocial behaviour and move the teens out of the area for up to 48 hours at a time in new dispersal laws. Ray Dio, aged 48, who runs the Nissa Local, said he has banned the teens, who he believes are aged between 12 and 16, from entering his shop. They are here every day, he said. I banned them about three weeks ago now. I don't let them pass through the door. They've tried to come back, but I won't let them in. Another employee at the mini supermarket, who did not wish to be named, said they are just a nuisance, banging on the windows and shouting things. She said the gang of around 10 or 12 youths will come to the strip for a couple of hours from about 11 each morning before returning later in the evening. That's when they get worse, she said. It's been going on, I should say, for the last year, but now it's getting worse and worse. It's intimidating. Mr Doe said a number of other businesses have also banned the teenagers from entering, but they still hang around outside. An employee of another shop who didn't want to be named said it's a shame for the old people when they want to come to the shops and they get very frightened. June Barrow, a volunteer at Age UK, said she has had to shoo them away during the evenings so that some customers don't feel intimidated, but said they just swear at you. The manager of Age UK, who did not wish to be named, said the situation is a nightmare. Their language is terrible, they are bullies. I have heard them verbally abuse people and swear and shout at them. 
They are a nuisance. I'm a mother, my daughter is 15, and if she ever spoke or acted like these kids out here, I'd kill her. I know the police have a lot of complaints about them, she said. I try to deal with it myself, to be fair. This is supposed to be a no-drinking zone, but they all come. Nothing seems to get done about it. Sergeant Simon Hallam of Warnden Safer Neighbourhood Team said, In recent weeks we have received a number of reported instances of antisocial behaviour from local businesses and residents in the vicinity of Cranham Parade. The sergeant said officers from Warnden SNT have recently instigated a dispersal order in line with S25 of the Antisocial Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act 2014, in an attempt to address the issue. He said the intention is to move off groups of local youths who can cause intimidation by their behaviour. This order is in place for periods of up to 48 hours and will be reinstigated as and when uh, issues justify this action. Officers are continuing to work towards resolutions in order to ensure that positive action is taken against any suspected offenders. Local residents are urged to continue to report matters of this nature so that we can continue to take positive action, he added. The headline for Tuesday, November the 7th, Action Call Over Car Fans Meets. Students are afraid to study at the City Library because of a monthly car meet, according to a councillor. Councillor Richard Udall has called on the City Council to consider stopping the events at Worcester's Cattle Market car park. He said two students have complained about the Anything Goes Meets, which takes place in the car park outside the hive in the butts. A nurse claimed she was threatened after asking some of the drivers at the gathering to stop causing pollution, but the founder of Anything Goes said he works with the authorities to enforce a strict set of rules. Councillor Udall said, Students feel intimidated going to study at the Hive. Revving engines disturb the peace. It's not a good image for Worcester to have fast cars revving on a car park. It's next to a place of learning. It causes too much disturbance. Either the City Council, police or the organisers need to tighten up the event or it should stop. Councillor Udall said, he had received complaints about attendees using disabled car park spaces and racing in nearby roads. A nurse confronted the drivers about causing extra pollution in the city at the most recent meet on Sunday, October the 29th. The nurse, who is too scared to be named, said, It was about 8.30pm when I went down there. I was there on my own. I said there are appalling high pollution levels in Worcester, they said they didn't care about pollution. The nurse said one of the group then started to film her on his smartphone and demanded to know her name and where she lived. She felt the incident was a borderline threat and reported it to the police the following day. She also claims that some of the drivers recklessly race around the city centre during the meets. Jack Tubbs, age 21, founder of Anything Goes, said that the group has council permission to hold the event in the car park. He said... There is that small minority that don't follow the rules and ruin it for everyone. We have leaflets when they come through the entrance, which list the rules. We are in constant contact with the police. If someone messes around and we see it, we will take down their registration and tell the police. We do as much as we physically can. People see it as a boy races, 
sorry, people see it as boy races, but we're not. We're car enthusiasts. We all share an interest in old and new cars and customization. This is a chance for us all to meet together once a month to show off our cars. It's like people that do car shows. It's a pound for parking, nice and cheap. The car park is not completely full from us. On Sunday evening at 6pm, there's usually not many people around. Mr Tubbs of Windrush Crescent in Malvern said the council allows them to use some of the disabled parking spaces and argued that the pollution issue is the government's responsibility. The delivery driver added that they have rules against revving, litter and speeding which are listed on Facebook. Volunteers also ensure a row of disabled parking spaces remain available in the car park, according to Mr Tubbs. He said the meets were shut down last year due to insurance concerns. However, they restarted after he personally paid for public liability cover. The Anything Goes meets first started in 2015 and take place on the last Sunday of every month between 6pm and 9pm. A Worcester City Council spokesman said... Councillor Udall's concerns would be investigated. And this headline is from Wednesday, November the 8th. It's about a man who's about to become homeless. An artist on the verge of becoming homeless claims the authorities have done nothing to help him. Richard Fern was provided with his private rental property in Raglan Street six years ago by Worcester Housing and Benefits Advice Centre otherwise known as WHABAC, which specialises in helping those at risk of becoming homeless. In September, his landlord told him she was selling the property and he'd have to move out. So he went to Worcester City Council for help, but claims he was told that he is now classed as a low risk and to come back in 28 days, as per its policy. I'm registered as homeless, but I've literally had no help for nine weeks, he said. I'm doing everything I can, and I'm the one calling the estate agents. Mr Fern, 45, a full-time artist, said the council and various other organisations for helping those at risk of becoming homeless are literally doing nothing to help him. It's not a case of they haven't found me anything, it's a case of they haven't done anything. When I got the property six years ago through them, they had a list of over two hundred, sorry, two dozen landlords. Now they're telling me they haven't got anything, he said. Mr Fern, who has lived in Worcester for more than 20 years, said he has also signed up for Home Choice Plus, a council-run scheme used to allocate housing association properties. HCP is an online system where you bid for properties, he said. You're only allowed to bid for three properties a week and it starts on a Tuesday. Every Tuesday morning at seven o'clock in the morning I'm online, first to bid for certain properties, so I'm top of the list. A couple of hours later I'm tenth. All estate agents in Worcester do not have landlords who accept people on benefits on their books and this is from having asked them for the last nine weeks. Mr Fern said his eviction date had already passed, but his landlady has granted me another two weeks before he will be facing sleeping rough. A spokesman for the City Council said, Worcester City Council's housing team always offer advice and assistance to people at risk of becoming homeless from the moment they contact us. 
we work alongside housing partners to help them find new accommodation either in a housing association property or in the private rented sector. The demand for all types of properties in Worcester is greater than the number of homes available. However, we are working hard to try to increase the number of suitable properties in the city. If someone does reach the point of becoming homeless, they will be referred to our homelessness service provider and placed in temporary accommodation until more permanent housing can be found. Now update to today, Thursday the 9th of November, the story of a charity box raider being jailed. A prolific burglar who stole a charity box from a railway office has been jailed. James Marson, known as Jamie, was jailed for six months after admitting breaking into a network rail office and stealing a charity box and a key. He was arrested by British Transport Police officers on Monday, following the burglary, in Sheriff Street, Worcester, and had been charged by 3.30am on Tuesday. He admitted the burglary and also admitted stealing a motor vehicle on New Road, which happened on September the 5th, and it was forensic evidence that had linked him to that theft. He also admitted stealing fragrances from Asda on Silver Street on October the 31st, as well as possessing a Class A drug and resisting or obstructing arrest. Officers described Marson, aged 39, of St Paul Street as a prolific burglar who was known to the Integrated Offender Management Programme as a persistent offender. DS Jamie Francis said, I'm really pleased that working together we managed speedily to catch and convict Marson on a number of offences. I'm also glad the evidence was so overwhelming he pleaded guilty at the first opportunity. Marson had admitted the charges at Redditch Magistrates Court on Tuesday, November the 7th. He was jailed for six months in total, including two months for burglary, two months for the theft from a vehicle, one month for possession of the drugs, and one month for theft from a shop. But he was not given any additional sentence for obstructing or resisting arrest. And now some other items that uh, you may find of interest this week. A drug addict posed as a carer to trick her way into an elderly, vulnerable woman's home and steal her money. Samantha Wade targeted an 80-year-old woman and duped her way inside her home in Leomon Walk, Starport. Once inside, she stole £80 in cash from her handbag and would have taken the woman's bank card too if the woman had not refused to give it to her. The 34-year-old of Old Ford, Ford Walk, Starport, appeared at Worcester Crown Court via video link for the mean burglary at the woman's home on July the 23rd. Christopher Lester, prosecuting, said the complainant was a vulnerable woman who lived alone, relying on carers to help her four times a day. Wade claimed to be her new carer and took £40 from her bag, claiming it was for the shopping, but then said it was not enough and took a further 40 Wade also tried to take her bank card, but the woman refused to give it to her. Wade left the house, walking in the opposite direction to the shops, and when challenged by the elderly woman, said she went a different way to get there. 
Police were called when the proper carer arrived at 8am to prepare the elderly woman's breakfast. Wade was identified by a police officer from a neighbour's CCTV before being picked out by the complainant at an identification procedure. When arrested, Wade denied the burglary, Mr Lester told the court. He added, there are no burglaries in her history, but there is much dishonesty of one form or another. Mr Lester said the burglary involved a greater harm and high culpability, describing the complainant as self-evidently vulnerable. He added, she knew one of the names of the carers and had patter ready to be able to get inside, claiming she was a carer as well. This was the defendant masquerading as someone she would have been expecting. Wade claimed she was under pressure from her new ex, now ex-partner to find money for drugs. Simon Rippon, defending, said society would be better served by Wade receiving rehabilitation in the community for her long-standing drug use. If jay- jailed, Wade would be mixing in with more sophisticated offenders. Recorder Gareth Evans, QC, described it as a mean burglary. He said, you impersonated that carer and went in with the sole purpose of ripping her off. Recorder Evans sentenced Wade to 15 months in prison, but suspended the term for two years. He ordered that she complete 20 days of a rehabilitation activity requirement and a six-month drug rehabilitation requirement. She must pay a £140 victim surcharge and £80 compensation to the complainant. A rare performance of Durufle's much-loved choral requiem with both orchestral and organ accompaniment is to take place at Worcester Cathedral on Saturday, November the 18th. The work being performed by 150 voices of Worcester Festival Choral Society together with the Worcester Cathedral Girl Choristers and the Meridian Sinfonia, is usually heard with organ only. The Society's concert is a chance to hear the Requiem with the full splendour of the French composer's combined orchestral and organ scoring. Maurice Durofle was a French composer, organist and teacher whose career was effectively cut short by a car accident in 1975 in which he was badly injured. Ben Cooper, chairman of the Worcester Festival Choral Society, said, Durufle's 1947 Requiem is exquisite and widely, widely considered as a wonder of the choral world, combining ancient Gregorian plain chants with rich, more modern harmonies. Performing it with not only the girl choristers, but also an outstanding orchestra and organ within the magnificent cathedral acoustics will make this an especially memorable experience. The concert will also feature what will be only the fifth public performance of British composer Jonathan Dove's 2014 choral work for an unknown soldier. A spokesman said, written as a cantata, of remembrance to mark the centenary of the First World War, the music features poems by First World War poets, such as Wilfred Owen, to vividly tell the story of one soldier's journey through the war. Singing for an unknown soldier with Worcester Festival Choral Society, many of the members perform in the annual Three Choirs Festival Chorus will be internationally acclaimed tenor Tom Robson, and Worcester Cathedral's boy and girl choristers.
the Meridian Sinfonia will be performed as a 51-piece orchestra for the concert. Worcester Cathedral's Director of Music, Dr. Peter Narden, will conduct. The tickets are on 01905 611 Planning permission to transform a historical former all-girls school into a retirement village has been granted. The former St Mary's School on Mount Batten Hall in Batten Hall Avenue, a Grade 2 listed building, will be converted into a 100 properties. The one and two bedroom homes will have a reception room, kitchen and a bathroom or shower room. Developers intend to restore the 19th century building and create three new villas within the seven-acre site, which will then be known as Mount Batten Hall. Previously, the plans to build a retirement village were mostly positively received, but neighbours had raised concerns over the height of the structure, amount of parking and road improvements for scooters. Posting on the City Council website in December last year, Samantha Ashfield, who runs Batten Hall Nursery from her home, voiced safeguarding concerns that one of the villas would directly overlook her garden. She said, The proposed villa, C Block, is four storeys high and with proposed balconies, terraces and non-frosted windows which will directly overlook our garden where the children will be playing. The proposed height of this villa is of particular concern. We appreciate the boundary currently consists of a number of mature yet deciduous trees which do provide an element of screening to our property in the summer months but these are our trees for which we are responsible. Developers said the Victorian building and grounds will be converted sympathetically to include communal facilities such as a dining room, library, restaurant, treatment room, guest accommodation, lounge and bar and landscaped grounds. Dating back to the 1860s, the elegant Italianate style mansion was built by Worcester clothier William Spriggs and then sold to Worcester Mayor Alfred Percy Allsop, a member of a wealthy brewing family. During the First World War, the mansion was used as a convalescent home and latterly became the renowned St Mary's Convent School until its closure in 2014. Hattie Bacon, Marketing and Operations for Enterprise Retirement Living, said, We are delighted to have secured Mount Batten Hall as our next retirement village for those advancing in years, a growing demographic that requires increasing support. Our aim is to combine old and new sympathetically within the site and create a vibrant community for older people to live securely and independently and enjoy the lifestyle they deserve. Owners will be able to join or form interest groups such as local history or gardening, take part in quizzes and social evenings, attend any number of a variety of events or simply enjoy an informal coffee with friends. The village aims to offer privacy and independence with support and care from a 24-hour on-site team. The first properties will be available in 2019. A sufferer of a devastating lung disease was on hand at the first support group meeting for fellow patients and their families in Morven last week. Well, earlier this week, actually. 
Tony Daly, who's 58, from the town, was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, IPF, seven and a half years ago and must be on oxygen 24 hours a day, with his lungs now below 20% of normal capacity. My condition was diagnosed after contracting double pneumonia and narrowly surviving ARDS, which is Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, said Tony, who worked as a mechanic before his diagnosis. I was on full life support at Worcester Royal Hospital who worked miracles for two and a half months to pull me through. And I spent a further one and a half months at the hospital before returning home on oxygen therapy. At this point, Tony, who's got two grown-up children, aged 21 and 26, and he felt he was really like a walking skeleton with only 27% of his lung capacity. I then worked hard with a lot of support from the NHS and my family to get as fit as possible and was eventually able to get around quite well with my ambulatory oxygen backpack, but at a very reduced speed to my former self. Despite knowing there is no cure for IPF, Tony's determined to continue working hard to slow the disease's progression with regular exercise and sensible living. With his lung capacity continuing to deplete, he's been on the transplant list at the Birmingham QE Hospital for around four and a half years. Tony went on to say that due to my decreasing lung function, it's only possible for me to leave the house with an escort and a large supply of oxygen. So, most of the time I'm stuck indoors, attached to an oxygen concentrator via a very long hose. IPF kills around 5,000 people every year in the UK, more than leukaemia, while the average life expectancy from diagnosis to death is between three and five years. The Worcestershire Support Group launched in the county this week on Tuesday, November the 7th and offers emotional and practical support and advice on coping with the lung disease. Its first meeting was held at St Matthias Church in Malvern last Tuesday afternoon. The contact is Nancy Howard on nancy.howard at nhs.net or you can visit actionpulmonaryfibrosis.org for more general information. Tens of thousands of people were dazzled by spectacular firework displays in Worcester as the night sky crackled into life. This was obviously last weekend. About 9,000 people enjoyed the vivid and vibrant display at Pitchcroft Alone, organised by Worcester Round Table as well as entertaining the crowds who also enjoyed fairground rides and a large bonfire, the fireworks display supports a diverse range of good causes from helping the homeless to battling cancer in children. Organisers said it was too soon to say how much has been raised on the night but are keen to hear from any charities and good causes they can support on Worcester table at googlemail.com. 
The display started later than expected as people had to be cleared from an area of pitchcroft for their own safety before the show could get underway. The jaw-dropping display at Six Ways also drew in thousands of people as families enjoyed not only fireworks but a fairground and face painting. Jan Alfrink, a round table committee member, said, We had a great night with estimates of 9,000 people attending who enjoyed the full range of activities from fairground rides to bonfire and a great firework display. The display at Six Ways also drew in thousands of people as families enjoyed not only fireworks but a fairground and face painting. The displays on Saturday followed another impressive display at Red Hill Primary School on Friday which was attended by 750 people and which organisers hope will raise £1,500 for the school. Organiser Kerry Ward, chairman of the Friends of Red Hill, said numbers had to be limited for safety reasons because of building work. The display by Jubilee Fireworks was set to music. Mrs Ward said, every year Jubilee put on a stunning display and I did not hear one negative comment. Everyone I spoke to said it was amazing. Thieves targeted poppy collection boxes over the weekend with two stolen from Morven and from Witchbold near Droitwich. The thieves have been branded as disgusting by a prominent ex-serviceman. Police confirmed that a Royal British Legion collection box was taken from Great Malvern Priory between 1.45pm and 2.05pm on Sunday. Another box was stolen from the counter of the Witchbold Village stores sometime on Saturday or Sunday. Jeff King, a former able seaman with the Royal Navy, where he served aboard HMS Newcastle in Korea, urged the thieves to bring back the boxes as soon as possible and display some compassion for the wounded ex-servicemen and women the poppy appeal is designed to help. Mr King, President of Evesham Royal British Legion, said, It's pretty disgusting that these people should be taking away from those who fought for their freedom. They must see pictures of the people that have been injured during conflicts, people coming back from Afghanistan with their legs blown off. Mr King said such thieves were fortunately rare and he urged the people who took the boxes to return, as, return them as soon as possible. He added, if they pluck up the courage to steal it, they can pluck up a bit more courage to return it, if only they would consider the people they're taking this money from. Also over the weekend, a poppy collection box was stolen from the village shop and post office at Witchbold near Droitwich. A spokesman for the British Legion branch who did not want to be named, said, the box was on the counter of the store behind a tray of poppies and someone just took it. The last time we had a box stolen was 12 years ago. It's not very good when something like this happens. People are pretty angry about this. Police are urging anyone with information on the thefts to contact them on 101, quoting incident number 368S on of November the 5th, Malvern, or 181S of November the 6th in Witchbold. Parents and children in Worcester are being urged to tidy the toy box in the approach to Christmas. Bernardo's is inviting people to donate their pre-loved toys and games to raise as much money as possible for vulnerable children and young people across the UK. 
The charity's stores in St Martin's Quarter and near Cheapen Street are keen to receive good quality toys, puzzles, board games and video games, as well as CDs, DVDs and books. Sarah Woodward, manager of the St Martin's Quarter store, said, This is the perfect time of the year for people to check their cupboards, bookshelves and toy boxes to see if there's anything which their children no longer want to use. This Christmas approaching, with Christmas approaching, they can clear some extra room for the latest presents while knowing that we will find a new home for their children's former favourites. It's also a great way for families to teach their children about the importance of recycling and helping others less fortunate than, than themselves. More information is available at bernardos.org.uk. Now we have an update in the ongoing saga of the Worcester City Football Club's efforts to obtain a new ground. Worcester City's initial plans for a new stadium at Parsonage Way are set to go public in December. The chairman, Anthony Hampson, has revealed artwork and explanatory documents that will go on display at a meeting to be arranged for next month. This is following last Monday's gathering with Worcester City Council, the Worcestershire FA officials and the club's architect. Progress towards City finally returning home is despite Warndon Parish councillors reiterating their objections and suggesting they could seek to make the proposed plot an asset of community value in order to block the bid. But Chairman Hampson responded with a vow to listen to objections with the club, city council and county FA set to convene privately in the new year to work through the issues raised. We did have a very constructive meeting, said Hampson. Proposed timelines were discussed and we'll be looking to hold a public consultation during the second week in December. And that'll see us engage with Warnden Parish Council and all of the local residents who may be affected. From there, we'll have another private consultation where the messages from that meeting will be considered to fine-tune our proposals. We're now making happy progress with a good team moving the project forward. The plans will be there for everyone to debate and involve in community as much as we can with an invitation to the chair of the parish council once we know the date. We're keen to get everything underway, the club, the council and everyone else. In response to the parish council's stance, Chairman Hampson added, I was a parish councillor for many years and I've been I would have been surprised if councillors had not explored everything in considering the views of their parishioners. They have to work in the best interests of their parish. It's understandable they'll be concerned. But as a club, we wish to assuage those concerns and we will listen. Meanwhile, Football Secretary Kevin Priest has been appointed to City's Board of Directors, subject to FA ratification. Priest, who was formerly a board member of Worcester City Supporters Trust, said the club must arrange an AGM at an appropriate time to address the shareholders. 
and expressed a desire to unite the club and the trust and hopes to drive forward City's commercial activity. Chairman Hansen said, yes, yes, an AGM will happen at the appropriate time. We fully understand and respect the fact that Kevin has the best interests of the club and its supporters at heart. He has been working with the club for a number of years and has really certainly earned his spurs, and we're delighted to offer him this post. This is an exciting time for the club, and everyone takes an even amount of responsibility for running it. There is certainly plenty to do. Former soldiers were among those to remember the fallen of the Battle of Passchendaele a century ago, one of the bloodiest chapters of the First World War. St Helen's Church in Fish Street, Worcester, was full for the service on Saturday as people gathered to honour the 500,000 soldiers on both sides who lost their lives. The day of commemoration, organised by Sandra Taylor, was more than an act of remembrance, with readings throughout the day to vivify the conflict and the lives of those caught up in the tragedy. Letters written by soldiers and nurses from the front were read out by Air, Army and Sea Cadets, including the 187th City of Worcester Air Training Corps. A television screen showed the names of 635 known soldiers who fell from Worcestershire alone during those 100 days. Lord Cobham, Deputy Lieutenant of Worcestershire, said, It's terribly important to learn the lessons of the past in order that we avoid repeating them. The Third Battle of Ypres, known as Passchendaele, was one of the greatest tragedies of all the many tragedies that collectively we call the First World War. The drumhead service was led by Reverend Dr Richard Johnson of All Saints Church, who described conducting the service as a privilege. Attending were Worcester MP Robin Walker, Mayor of Worcester Steve McKay and Staff Sergeant John Walters, the son of a man who fought at Passchendaele. A rooftop bar could be built on the site of a closed city centre pub. The owners of city restaurant Hanbeo, which sells burgers and cocktails, wants to transform the old Toby's Tavern into a striking modern venue. The flat roof of the single-storey building in Sampson Street, Worcester, will become a wood-decked open terrace if the plans are approved by the City Council. Brothers Seb and Alex Lamb plan to extend Hanbeo in Fourgate Street into a former Toby's Tavern, which sits to the rear of their restaurant and bar. Architect Nick Carroll said, It will be unprecedented insofar as I'm aware. It's the only rooftop bar in Worcester. The planning application outlines proposals to construct a wooden gazebo on top of the single-storey building and to create a new roof to partially cover the terrace. Mr Carroll said the building will be clad in zinc and take on a black, dark, moody appearance, while the ground floor will be revamped with glass walls and sliding doors. He added that the brothers also planned to convert the three-storey building next to the site. Mr Carroll said, The bar won't be open air, it'll be tucked in the three-storey building. It's very important to say that neighbours opposite will not be able to have a full view by virtue of the clever use of the pergola, which is the wooden gazebo. We will probably plant it up with lots of leafy stuff. Mr Carroll said the third level of the adjoining three-storey property, which was also part of the old Toby's Tavern, 
will be turned into a secret bar. The planning agent describes the current single-storey building as detrimental to the character of the area. Hanbeo burger, sorry, Hanbeo hamburger in Chinese was set up in October last year. A date has not been set for the city council to decide on the plans. Last month, the chief executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, Michelle McKay, pledged to stop the practice of caring for patients on trolleys at a meeting of the Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee at County Hall in Worcester. Winter tends to be the busiest time for hospitals as staff tackle a range of seasonal problems from falls leading to broken hips to infections and outbreaks of norovirus. However, health chiefs say patients can take steps themselves to reduce pressure on A&E, choosing appropriate services and getting their flu jabs. As previously reported, one patient died from a cardiac arrest after 35 hours waiting in a corridor at Worcestershire Royal Hospital last winter. Another one who had an aneurysm was taken into the resuscitation area but died. A third, reported to have been someone hanging themselves on a ward, also happened elsewhere in the hospital. The three deaths took place between New Year's Day and Tuesday, January the 3rd this year at the Worcester Hospital, which remains in special measures. The organisation is rated inadequate by the Health and Social Care Regulator, the Care Quality Commission, which has ordered the Trust to improve. Councillor Paul Tuthill, chairman of the HOSC, said there needs to be fundamental change at the acute trust, which Michelle McKay has indicated. He hopes the £29 million of government investment can be drawn down as quickly as possible. Councillor Tuthill said that the committee had been encouraged by the words of Mrs McKay at the last meeting. Some of that cash will be used to create a link bridge between the main Worcester Hospital site and the Aikenbury Wing. An ambulance has to be used at the moment to convey patients. However, this is not likely to happen until next winter. As previously reported, some of this money will go towards 81 extra beds and 141 more parking spaces. The Trust aims to have some of these beds available by next winter. Cancer patient Nick Turner, who spent 13 and a half hours on a trolley in a corridor at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in July, suffering from sepsis, says change is not happening fast enough. He said the photo was all the more disturbing as he had been told by a senior nurse in another hospital that it didn't have to be that way. And that was a photo that is in in the newspaper of a gentleman um, lying on a trolley in a corridor. The 54-year-old of Ombersley Road, Worcester, said, We're being fed a lie that it is uniformly bad all over the country. I don't know what the hell they're going to do over the winter. The solicitor said it was time for the management of Worcester Hospital to stop being boneheaded and think of an urgent creative solution. Previously, Mr Turner had suggested using bed and breakfasts, nursing homes and even army tents like those in the TV show MASH, rather than continuing in the same fashion indefinitely. However, the Trust has already started a £920,000 overhaul of Worcester's A&E department to better manage the high volume of patients.
Instead of the current ambulatory emergency care, which has just two chairs for patients, the Trust will have a bigger unit with six assessment trolleys and ten chairs, providing a consultant-led service, allowing decisions about the treatment each patient needs to be taken more quickly. A spokesperson for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, We recognise we still have new challenges around patient flow and the impact this has on crowding in our emergency department. Over the past few months, we have been working hard on improving patient flow. We have already started to see some improvements. However, we recognise there's a lot more to do. Other steps we're taking in the near future include an expanded GP home visiting service for those patients who are really unwell. Patients who have had a fall but haven't suffered broken bones will be taken to minor injuries units rather than A&E. There was a large gathering at a Thanksgiving service to remember June Sace, a woman whose generosity led to the foundation of Acorns Children's Hospice in Worcester. Mrs Sace died at the age of 93 on October the 13th. She and her late husband Willie, an insurance broker, donated paddocks they used for keeping donkeys behind their home in Bath Road to the charity so that it could be set up in Worcester in 2005. At the service held in Whittington Village Church, Last Wednesday afternoon, tributes were paid to Mrs. Sace, including from her cousin, Sally King, who described her as a very generous lady with traditional values but forward thinking. And acorns meant a great amount to her, Mrs. King said. Her only regrets were that Willie had not been around to see how it developed into what it is today. And you will be forever in our hearts, Mrs. King added. Former Acorns Chief Executive John Overton also paid tribute to the woman who helped to bring Acorns to Worcestershire. She loved that a hospice was near her home, he said. The children, staff and nurses, she regarded them as her second family. So thank you, June, from us all. The Reverend Andy Stand, who led the service, added the gift of the land will be a gift that keeps on giving. And during the service, there were stories of how Mrs. Sace had been a frequent visitor to the hospice, taking part in its various celebrations and events. The service featured music from Elgar, a reading from Gilda Davis, the head nurse at Acorns, and various hymns, including All Things Bright and Beautiful and Morning Has Broken. As an additional aside, young Moen Eunice, who has a close relationship with Acorns, received a Child Teenager of Courage Award at the 2017 Pride of Britain Awards this week. Moen has attended the hospice since he was a baby and has recently become an Acorns ambassador. He was originally notified of his award through a surprise visit from David Beckham and the footage was shown from that moment on an ITV show. A comic and board game shop is set to open in Worcester City Centre. The shop is planned to open in the hot market, although details are still being finalised, with owner Ryan Pritchard believing there is a gap in the market in Worcester after Hyde and Geek closed its doors. 
Aperture Comics, which will open in May 2018, is currently operated as a mobile business and Mr Pritchard is still looking for funds to help his dream become a reality. Mr Pritchard from Tewkesbury said a comic book a comic book shop in Worcester closed last year so I think there is a gap in the market for the shop. It will be for comic books, games and trading. We wanted to find the ideal premises so that we can offer events such as tabletop and video game tournaments. We are launching a crowdfunder campaign in order to get help reaching our target to get the premises. We are an independent comic and board game store. Inspired by our passion for comics and gaming, as well as the recent stint of comic-related movies, we have decided to open a shop in Worcester. Our aim is to run a professional operation, offering good quality products and service to our customers. After some bumps in the road and some meticulous planning, we have decided to ask the public for help in funding. 1,905 would be ideal to improve the size of the shop, but I will be opening regardless in the hot market, so come along and support us. Um, on Tuesday, we launch Worcester Legends. This is from uh, Worcester News, um, acknowledging it. Profiles of the ordinary people who make our city such a great place to live due to their passion, dedication and kindness. We'll be telling their stories every Tuesday in the newspaper and on our website. Amateur boxing coach Michael Underwood was among the first people to be nominated as a Worcester legend. Known as Uncle Mick to the talented young boxers he's produced in his four decades as head coach at Worcester City Amateur Boxing Club, the ABC, Mr Underwood was nominated by his son James. It's a bit biased to vote for my dad, but he's been the Worcester ABC coach for over 40 years where he voluntarily trains young people four or five nights a week and never fails to turn up, says James. He's produced a lot of talent and, as of last week, produced another national schoolboy champion, Denny Smith. In May, Michael, aged 66, underwent open-heart surgery in Bristol after suffering a heart attack last November, though he was quickly back at the Vincent Road gym once he'd recovered. He's never been paid for any of the coaching and he goes all round the country for different fights. Quite a lot of national finals, said James. Michael, who worked as a mechanic for many years before taking early retirement following an injury, started boxing at the gym when he was 16. He said, I've been coaching all my life, really. Even when I was boxing myself, I was organising the others, helping them out. The aim is to teach these kids amateur boxing, but it's also about self-control to get rid of their aggression in the gym and not out on the street. But you're always looking for the next champion, looking for the next Anthony Joshua. Joe Joyce is the latest of Michael's protégés to turn pro and asked if he would ever call it quits at the gym, the coaching legend said, they will have to carry me away. The week before I went in for the op, I was at championships in Newcastle, he added. I think if you want something in life, if you enjoy it, you just keep doing it. I couldn't see myself just sitting at home watching TV. While he was working full-time, Michael said he would go straight to the gym from work, then home. I've gone to shows, then not got back until 4am and then to work for 8am, he said. James said when Dad was in hospital, guys he'd trained from years gone by were coming from all over the place to see him. It was incredible.
I'm an extremely proud son and think his commitment to Worcester means he is a true Worcester legend, and many would agree, he added. To nominate a warrior legend, sorry, a Worcester legend, email ryan.merrifield at worcesternews.co.uk. There are now just a couple of weeks to go until the festive season can get properly underway with the switch on of Worcester's Christmas lights. Councillor Mayor, oh sorry, Worcester Mayor, Councillor Steve Mackay will be switching on this year's lights with the help of special guest Pudsey Bear. White and gold coloured lights are being specially hired by Worcester City Council to bring festive sparkle to the city. Lights are set to illuminate the city centre and the St John's shopping area and for the first time this year, white fairy lights are also being used in, in trees along the high street, creating an extra magical effect. The lights will be switched on in front of the Guildhall in Worcester High Street on Thursday, November the 23rd, starting at 4pm, with the lights going on at 6pm. The event is being hosted by BBC Hereford and Worcester presenters Elliot Webb and Malcolm Boyden with the event Raising Money for the BBC Children in Need appeal. The event will also include entertainment from singers Mike Skilbeck, Tasmin Barnes and Worcester Concert Brass and a snow machine. I'm very much looking forward to welcoming people to Worcester City Centre for this very special occasion, Councillor Mackay said. The Christmas lights switch on is always a really fun event. The festive spirit is contagious and people of all ages really enjoy the occasion. The event also signals the start of Christmas late night shopping in Worcester City Centre with many shops staying open until 8pm on Thursdays. Christmas trees will go up in the City Centre and St John's on November the 13th. For more on the planned festive programme of events, visit christmasinworcester.com. The city's food bank manager is appealing for more donations as the service faces the prospect of its busiest ever Christmas period after seeing the number of users rise by nearly 20%. Worcester Food Bank has once again launched its reverse advent calendar scheme which urges people to donate an item of food every day over the festive period to help feed those in need. Graham Lucas, the food bank manager, says he believes the 18% rise is down to an increase in people in low-income jobs as well as the ongoing issues with benefits partly to do with the new universal credit scheme. This low-income issue, we think, is twofold. There is good news. Unemployment is reducing in Worcester. But my fear is it is reducing as a result of low-income jobs, minimum wage and low hours. It's also partly to do with lower levels of benefits as a result of the allowance freeze, which means benefits are not sufficient to prevent people staying out of crisis. The Local Government Association has called for this month's autumn budget to lift the freeze on local housing allowance, which is currently set to be capped at the 2016 level for the next four years. It's paid to low-income families in the private rented, rented sector to help them cope with high housing costs. 
The official universal credit rollout in Worcester is next summer, though Mr Lucas said some users of the city's food bank have already been moved onto the new system and they are seeing the impact. It's mostly about delays which we are experiencing in the old and new systems, leaving people without money to put food on the table. Across the country, we know that in areas where UC has already been fully rolled out, increases in demand at food banks is something like 30%. He added that over the last 12 months, our food bank has provided more than 60,000 meals But if the rise mirrors other parts of the UK, by next summer it could be hitting 70,000. Quite a scary prospect, he said. The people of Worcester have been amazing in their generosity, but we can't keep expecting miracles and may not be able to sustain this level. Despite the potential difficulties, Mr Lucas said we're already planning to be able to tackle it though because... Our fear is now that the generosity could plateau and we've got to try to keep reaching as many people as we can. As well as the reverse advent calendar appeal, the food bank is also increasing its visits to supermarkets as well as conducting more special collections. You can visit worcester.foodbank.org.uk for more information. A city councillor has blasted the decision to remove several trees from a busy road, a move he believes has been done without consultation. Councillor Louis Stephen, who represents Battenhall on the City Council, is angry after four trees were removed from the side of Bath Road near the junction with Timberdine Avenue last Wednesday. The County Council said it chopped the trees down because they were causing problems for people with pushchairs and disabilities. Councillor Stephen said, I'm really angry about these trees being cut down. It seems that there has been no public consultation. Trees are important to Worcester. They help to reduce pollution levels and are a valuable habitat for birds and other animals. We need the council to commit to replace these felled trees and consult properly before any future felling takes place. In February, Councillor Stephen put forward an amendment to the City Council budget for £20,000 to plant trees around Worcester in a bid to improve air quality around the city centre. Councillor Stephen wrote to County Council leader Simon Geraghty as his county councillor for an explanation. He asked Councillor Geraghty why the trees were removed, whether any consultation has occurred with city councillors and the local residents and whether he has any plans to replant new trees. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, Concerns in relation to these trees have been raised by members of the public. The trees in question were causing an inconvenience for people with disabilities or with pushchairs. Due to the size of the trees and the fact that the roots were forcing up the surface of the pavement, a decision was taken to remove them ahead of planning resurfacing work. We will look at suitable replacement trees in the area. Rail officers, police and security staff descended on Worcester Fourgate Street Station at rush hour yesterday morning in a surprise sting to catch fare dodgers. Seven revenue protection and security managers from London Midland, supported by British Transport Police officers and a representative from the security company G4S, were checking tickets as passengers exited the station.
They would not say how many fair dodges they caught. A spokesman for London Midland said 90% are paying customers. This leaves us with around 3% of people travelling without tickets. Of this 3%, about half are fair dodging, and the other half have no intention of ever paying for their rail ticket. The railway company will not say whether Worcester, Fourgate Street or Shrub Hill are hotspots for fair dodging. The spokesman added, The rail industry loses over £200 million per year to ticketless travel. That is enough to pay for 10 new stations the size of Bromsgrove or 133 extra railway carriages. A team of 36 officers patrol the London Midland, next, net, sorry, the London Midland network each day. They can issue a fine of £20 or twice the single fare, whichever is greater, to any passenger travelling without a valid ticket. The historic Cardinal's Hat pub is set to feature on a Channel 4 reality television programme. The Friar Street pub, which dates back to the 14th century and is thought to be Worcester's oldest pub, will be the focus of a four-in-the-bed episode screening on Tuesday, November the 14th. The popular show takes owners of bed and breakfasts from across the country and sends them to each other's establishments, marking them on criteria such as cleanliness, the welcome of hosts, food and value for money. The Cardinal's Hat owner, Nigel Smith, welcomed owners of other establishments in Wales and Dorset for the competition and visited them. Mr Smith said he was not keen to give anything away before the shows are broadcast, but added, It was a very unique experience. It was hard work, but one that was very enjoyable. We were proud to showcase the boutique city rooms and the pub. I am very pleased that I did it. Mr Smith features on the programme, screening each night at 5pm on Channel 4, with his pub at the centre of Tuesday's episode. The pub has won the Worcester Customer Service Awards 2016 Platinum Award for food and drink and was a finalist at the Visit Worcester Awards in Excellence 2017. Parents, teachers and council leaders have responded to figures that show that almost a quarter of reception-age children in Worcestershire are obese, or at least overweight. The statistics from the County Council reveal that 23.4% of reception-year children were classed as obese or overweight in the year 2016-17, an increase from the previous year. The national picture is about 22.6% of reception-age children were overweight or obese in the same time scale, putting Worcestershire above the UK average. There was a sizeable gap between the richest and poorest areas in the county, with 39.3% of Year 6 children overweight or obese in the most deprived areas, compared with 29.8% in the least deprived. Some parents said they feared that government weight loss schemes shame pupils, but the county councillor responsible for health and well-being said that was not indeed the aim. A mother, Julie Jackson, from Droitwich, told Worcester News she believed that we live in an anti-fattist society and said, but if you're poor... 
the high-fat options are easier and more readily available. Christy Roberts from Blackpool in Worcester has two young children and believes that the increase in obesity amongst these young children is because fast food is so readily available. Should there be more investment in healthier food stores around the city? Her partner, Aaron Oliver, added, it's no good slagging off the parents, they need healthier meals in school. But Councillor John Smith, County Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing, said, it's not a matter of shaming people, but making them more aware. The council is working with organisations, including the NHS and schools, to help people achieve a healthy weight. Lars Fredrickson from Britannia Square in Worcester, who has three children, said, The issue is highlighted well in school, but it's something we all need to be more aware of. Vivian Crampton, who's the head teacher at Fairfield Community Primary School, said that staff are promoting healthy eating through our curriculum um, in various areas, including science and in the catering that goes on here at the school. You can have your say on this issue at worcesternews.co.uk. This year's Victorian Christmas Fair promises to be a truly spectacular event with nearly 200 stores filling the streets of Worcester from Thursday, November the 30th until Sunday, December the 3rd. Now in its 25th year, the event, organised by Worcester City Council, is one of the most successful street fairs of its kind in the Midlands, contributing an estimated £7 million to the local economy each year. There are a wide range of products to be discovered at the street market, including colourful crafts, festive gifts and speciality foods. There will also be a programme of entertainment to celebrate the fair's special anniversary this year. Look out for Victorian characters in Gin Lane, lofty entertainers on stilts, talented musicians on the stages and buskers on every street corner, as well as the spectacular carousel in the corn market. Worcester's Victorian Fair is a fantastic traditional event which regularly attracts more than 130,000 people over the course of the four days from all over the country, said Helen Mole, Economic Development Officer at Worcester City Council. Much of the produce sold on the stores is made locally and the additional footfall in the city centre benefits many local shops and restaurants too. For visitor information, go to worcesterchristmas.fair.co.uk or visit the Worcester Tourist Information Centre next door to the Guild Hall in Worcester High Street. Worcester's main Remembrance Sunday commemoration is the community's chance to remember all those who have given their lives for peace and freedom, both in the two world wars and in subsequent conflicts worldwide. A service will take place at Worcester Cathedral at 10am, followed by a wreath-laying ceremony at the War Memorial in the Cathedral grounds. This will incorporate the two-minute silence at 11am, which will end with the firing of a gun, followed by the playing of the last post. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Steve McKay, said, This will be a solemn, important and moving ceremony to remember the many people who have fallen to protect the freedoms we all enjoy. I hope as many people as possible are able to attend. 
Other organisations involved in Worcester's Remembrance Sunday commemorations include contingents from 214 Battery Royal Artillery, the Royal British Legion, Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regimental Association, Navy, Army and Air Force Cadets, Emergency Services and Scouts and Guides. The service will be followed by a parade along High Street with the Mayor and the Lord Lieutenant at Worcestershire, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Holcroft, taking the salute outside the Guildhall. In Evesham, members of the Town Council and local organisations will be attending the Remembrance Day Parade and service on Sunday. The event starts at 10.15am in the Market Square with a parade to the War Memorial led by Avonbank Band and the ex-service standard bearers. At 11am a two-minute silence will be observed and wreaths will be placed followed by a service of remembrance at All Saints Church. In Pershaw, the Royal British Legion and other organisations will attend a short ceremony at the Cross of Sacrifice in the cemetery at 10.45 on Saturday, also at 11am in Chapman Court. The two-minute silence will be observed together with the playing of the Last Post and Ravelli. On Sunday, the Pershaw Remembrance Parade will march off from the Asda car park at 10.10am. The parade, led by a piper, will march into the High Street and Broad Street to Pershaw Abbey. After the service in Pershaw Abbey, the parade will, will, sorry, the parade will return to the car park with the salute before taking outside, before, sorry, start again. Abbey, the parade will return to the car park with the salute being taken outside Pershaw Town Hall. In Malvern on Saturday, there will be a short service at 1045 at the War Memorial in Great Malvern Priory. For Remembrance Sunday itself, the parade will muster in Graham Road at 1.50pm and then march to the library, where a short service in a wreath lane will take place. The parade will then reform in Graham Road and march to the Priory for the service of Remembrance that starts at 3pm. And this is another um, Remembrance Day um, story about a lady called Sharon Baker Joyce. Um, a veteran is delighted and honoured to have been chosen to parade the national standard of the Women's, Women's Royal Army Corps at the Festival of Remembrance in London. Sharon Baker Joyce of Kempsey near Worcester is the Corps' national standard bearer and will be parading the standard at the Royal Albert Hall at a ceremony attended by the Queen and other members of the Royal Family on Saturday, November the 11th. On Remembrance Sunday, Mrs Baker Joyce will also march with fellow Women's Royal Army Corps veterans to the Cenotaph in London's Whitehall for the service and wreath laying and then the march pass to honour the fallen of the British Armed Forces involved in the two world wars and all conflicts since. She believes Prince Charles will be representing the Queen at the ceremony. Mrs Baker Joyce, aged 65, said... This year, for the first time, we have the honour of parading the national standard at the Royal Albert Hall, and I am very proud and honoured to be doing so, and also rather excited. She joined the WRAC in 1969 as a physical training instructor serving the UK and Germany, then in 1984 became a recruiting sergeant in Worcester, ending up as the office manager.
The WRAC was disbanded in 1992 and the WRAC Association was formed in 1949, continuing to this day for the comradeship and welfare of its members. She said, In 1987 I became a member of the Hereford branch, where I became their standard bearer. In 2012 I was asked to be the national standard bearer. I have paraded the standard at the last post-ceremony at the Menin Gate, the VE and VJ Day celebrations in London in 2015 and many other military occasions. The Menin Gate ceremony was very moving. It actually brings home just how many men and women gave their lives in hope of peace in, in our time. Mrs Baker Joyce has already met the Queen at the Army and Navy Club in Pall Mall on Thursday, October the 12th, where she was presented to her at a reception as part of the 100 Years of Women in Service uniform. Mrs Baker Joyce said, Meeting the Queen was amazing. Her Majesty spoke to all present, listening with genuine interest. The Queen has this aura about her and you're just drawn to her. When you speak to her, she listens so intently to what you are saying. It isn't until afterwards you suddenly realise what you have done. You think, I have just talked to the Queen. I have just shaken her hand. It doesn't seem real. Dozens of animals have been saved after they were forced to move away from their temporary home in a pub car park. Last year, Adam Smith's animal sanctuary on the Isles of Scilly was forced to close. But when he took over the old chestnut tree pub in Lower Moor at Pershaw, he moved the animals onto the pub's car park on a short-term basis. But Witchhaven District Council planners then rejected a change-of-use application to convert the car park into a permanent sanctuary. He was given just six months to rehome the animals. He feared that some may have to have been put down if he couldn't find new accommodation. At the time, he said that 40 animals had been well kept in timber enclosures on the site since September 2016. But previously, David Hammond, the Planning and Housing Services Manager at Witchhaven, said the application was refused as a reduction in the amount of parking was considered a highway safety risk. And this decision was supported by the County Council in their role as Highways Authority. It's a shame, said Mr Smith, we were not able to build the sanctuary there. It was a struggling pub, but they didn't want these changes. So following this, Mr Smith was forced to sell the pub but then approached the owners of the farm shop and restaurant up in Holt Fleet Road, Ombersley. Alan and Brett Wilkinson offered to help, because the Holt Fleet site already had a licence to have an animal sanctuary after previous plans for one had fallen through. So both Mr Smith and his partner, Gareth Davis, who got experience running a culinary business, are now helping out at the on-site restaurant there while the animals are living in a new sanctuary. Mr Wilkinson said it was an all-round win-win situation. Adam turned up in our hour of need also because the restaurant was in need of a pick-me-up, so it's a good match for everyone. 
The Ombersley Annual Animal Sanctuary, which now consists of more than 70 animals, includes meerkats, monkeys, raccoons, squirrels and exotic birds, and it will be opening its doors on at the farm shop and restaurant in Holtfleet Road this coming Saturday. That would have been last Saturday. Speaking on the opening, Mr Smith added, I'm really looking forward to the opening. We're going to get a big crowd, I think. Entries £2.50 includes a guided tour and the restaurant will be serving a full range of food plus Cornish ice creams. For more information, if you've got access to Facebook, just go to Ombersley Animal Sanctuary. The target for the number of new affordable homes built last year was missed by Worcester City Council by just four properties. The City Council wanted to see 100 affordable houses constructed in Worcester between April 2016 and April 2017. However, only 96 affordable homes were completed in this period, which fell from 166 in 2015 to 2016 and 260 in 2014 to 2015. Councillors raised concerns about this and also warned of the increasing reliance on private sector accommodation at a council community's committee meeting. Councillor Roger Berry described the situation as a real issue. He added that the statistics on affordable homes needed to reflect the houses being built as part of major developments such as the West and South Worcester urban extensions. Councillor Joy Squire said, I think there needs to be a focus on private sector housing in Worcester now. There's a growing problem within the private rented sector around conditions. Tenants are concerned about complaining to landlords. I've had people say to me they won't complain because he will chuck me out. I know there's work going on to try and improve that, but sometimes it seems quite slow and progress isn't rapid enough. We need to make sure we are meeting our statutory obligations. An increasing number of people are being forced into private sector because we can't provide social rented homes. She added that the council needs to ensure that people feel confident they can enter homes with decent standards. Councillor Lynn Denham said 19% of the properties in the city are currently private sector and that this figure is rising. She said the city has a very different context to the county with the university. The city council demands that at least 40% of houses on new developments are affordable unless the assessment can justify a lower figure. And that nearly brings us to the end of this evening, but um, a what's on. A town crier and toastmaster will be sharing amusing anecdotes of his time in both roles at the annual general meetings of Droitwich Spa Area Forum for Older People. Edgar Harwood will be speaking at the event on November the 14th at the Library Centre on Ombersley Road with tea and coffee to be served from 9.30am. The AGM will begin at 10.15am and all are welcome. So that's something to put in your diary. Um, also, for birthdays, we'd like to wish Joan Cook a very happy birthday for the 15th of November. And if there's anybody else who we've missed off the list, please do let us know because we'd love to wish you a happy birthday. Um, emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8am is 0300 And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. 
Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684894892277. The Worcester Live is 611429, covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 Our telephone number is 01905 767766 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is Worcester talkingnews.co.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, We value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you might like to make. Just pop uh, any notes into your envelopes and we will uh, read them from there. But until next week, have a lovely week.